Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with trendsetters who are leading innovation in public safety and expert advice on growing your own post-law enforcement business. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today on the show, we are going to talk about next generation technology for the purpose of crime scene analysis and investigation. Three-dimensional virtual reality crime scene reconstruction is poised to change the future of criminal investigations. You know, when having this conversation, I can't help but conjure up memories of watching Star Trek as a kid and seeing characters on the show using the holodeck to physically manipulate virtual objects in order to solve mysteries. It's amazing to me that now, just a couple decades later, the capability is very close at hand. My guest on the show today, Eugene Liskio, is a registered professional engineer in the province of Ontario, Canada, and is the owner of AI2-3D, a consulting company that specializes in 3D forensic documentation, analysis, and visualizations. Eugene has testified in court in both the U.S. and Canada, utilizing 3D technologies such as photogrammetry and laser scanning, and has also provided interactive 3D crime scene reconstructions to aid juries. In this episode, Eugene is going to share with us how 3D crime reconstruction is being utilized, how your agency can begin to implement the technology, and what he believes is in store for the near future. Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today we have Eugene Lissio on the podcast from AID3D uh, Forensics. And today we're going to talk about 3D forensic technology and how it applies to public safety investigations, law enforcement investigations, and reconstruction. So Eugene, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Hey, thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you on. So today we're going to talk about 3D forensic technology. Let's just kind of dive right into that and pick up from there. Um, I know it's kind of a broad door that I just left you, but can you kind of give us a rundown in general of uh, what you guys do at AID3D uh, Forensics and the technology you guys employ? Yeah, sure. Uh, AI2-3D. So that's the... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, the yeah, I mean, if whenever I talk about three D forensics, um, I really I kind of given it a very broad definition in that it's really the use of three D technologies for the documentation, analysis, and visualization of evidence. And so, like documentation is all the cool tech that people like to use, the laser scanners, the drones with you know camera and making photogrammetry and all this sort of stuff. And then there's the analysis part where you know, you take the data and then you got to do something with it. So, you know, for regard, you know, depending on what application it is, whether it's for shooting reconstruction or bloodstain pattern analysis or something like that, you know, you, you do something with it. And then finally, it's the visualization. It's, it's how you present it afterwards. And so, you know, whether it's uh, including something inside of a report, uh, what are the different ways that you can take this 3D data and then present it to somebody? So that's, that's it 
kind of it in a nutshell. But the, the two main areas that I've really been focused on in the past sort of 10 years or so, it's, I always call it the two Bs. It's not bread and, back, uh, bed and breakfast, but it's uh, blood and bullets. So uh, bloodstain <laughs> pattern analysis, uh, looking at, uh, you know, the bloodstain patterns and what we can do with them, what kinds of different types of analysis we can do with them, and then shooting reconstruction. There's just been a lot of... Um, especially the last few years, officer-involved shootings, it just seems like it's I'm getting a lot of calls on that. So reconstructing those types of events has been a pretty big deal. So from your perspective, what would you say is the single greatest advantage of employing 3D uh, forensic technology in a law enforcement capacity? Well, there's probably a, f- a few, but let's, you know, if you think about, you know, let's say there's a, a okay. shooting or there's some, you know, something going on and all of a sudden, you know, you get, you get there and you've got to document something really quick. And this could be for a crash scene. It could be for a crime scene or whatever, but first off the speed of documentation and the uh, quantity of information that you get from 3d data that, that right off the bat is huge. And so if you look at traditional techniques, like even hand or manual techniques that people would, would traditionally use, um, you know, a tape measure and plumb bob or one of these uh, rolling wheel kind of things or whatever. I mean, they're great for very simple environments. But as soon as you start talking about, okay, we found a body in a forest and the forest is not level. It's got like ditches and it's got elevation problems and there's trees and bushes everywhere. Now that becomes a problem. So using manual techniques uh, becomes really, really problematic. Speed of documentation. So when you think about just just take a very small apartment, you know, the fact that you can bring something like a laser scanner inside and then capture everything in the span of minutes, really. There's no other instrument in the world like the laser scanner, for example. You, you just can't capture that much data in so little time. And so those those are some just, you know, the initial advantages when you're in the field. Now, when you're back at the office, there's certain things that you can do with 3D data that you can't do with any other means. So it kind of opens up the door to other types of analysis that you could never do before. So that's super helpful because things that people would never even try by hand or using manual techniques, they'll now try with 3D data or, or, or with uh, point cloud data or mesh data, you know, as, as we refer to it. So. And then finally, you know, on the back end, you know, people are talking about virtual reality now. They're talking about, you know, 3D printing. They're talking about all these other things. So it just opens up a whole bunch of doors for you and the, the quality of your work, the way, you know, how it, how it's presented, you know, whether it's a trial or even to your colleagues, like, you know, the chief and the investigators, they look at it and they go, damn, that's, that's cool. Like it looks cool and, and uh, it's valuable because it, it contains some really important yeah. information. Yeah, and certainly that visualization is a big benefit in the courtroom as well. Being able to really visually tell the story of things that that happened or how it transpired to the jury and and uh, you know to your your defense or uh, to the judge, you know, obviously that uh, that visual visualization makes a huge impact versus just submitting a report and having an officer testify in the stand or, or share some still photos. Yeah, we still get that all the time. So like we have a case right now where, you know, we're modeling gunshot injuries on a body and, you know, we're presenting this to some people. And, and as soon as they look at it, I mean, there's, there's no denying what you're seeing. I mean, they can, it's very clear to them what they're looking at and it's very intuitive. 
And, you know, a lot of these um, shootings, they're not all straightforward. Some of them are quite complex. The area that you're in is complex. It's, you know, elevation differences and things like that. And it's not always something you can easily get with just a camera, like taking a picture, right? So, you know, camera, a camera is fantastic, video and, and having photographs. But, um, you know, it's sort of a view from a certain perspective and depending on the kind of lens you have or whatever, it can kind of give you a false sense of, depth or a false sense of elevation or whatever. So, you know, having it sure. in 3D gives you a, a more true to form representation of whether it's a crime scene or a piece of evidence or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think uh, the the cold case homicide investigators of the future in 20, 30 years from now are really going to be thanking us. But I guess by then, maybe technology be so much different, they'll still be cursing us. I, I worked a, a cold case homicide several years ago that was from the mid 80s. And it was tough, man. I mean, digging through these boxes of stuff and you're going, man, what were they thinking? And why didn't they do this? And why didn't they do this? And then you really stop to think about it and you go, well, it was just different. That like This was the way that that people that cops investigated these crimes at that time. And um, the technology has evolved to the point now where we expect something different and we expect something more than what they had at that time. And so I I suspect maybe that same uh, conundrum will exist in 20, 30 years when they look back at our 3d scans and still feel like it's insufficient. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point. Uh, Yeah. I've worked on some really old cases as well. And and same thing, you know, that, how people documented crime scenes back then versus today. There's obviously been a shift in, in mentality and attitude and technology. Technology has played a yeah. huge part. So yeah, it's a good point. And 30 years from now, they're like, Oh man, can you imagine, you know, they, they didn't have this instrument and this instrument, you know, how, how do they, how do they work back then? You know, how was it possible? <laughs> yeah. you know? Why so, didn't they collect DNA? Right. I mean, that wasn't right. even a thing. Um, right, right. <laughs> right. But it's an interesting point yeah. that, like, for example, I always say, what if we were collecting, you know, biological samples before we knew what DNA was, then we could, you know, there would have had a whole bunch of opportunities there. And so I don't know if that's the same, uh, the same for 3d data, you know, like, you know, just collect it. And then maybe there's something we can do with it in the future that we can't do now. I don't know, but, um, yeah, yeah, but it's an interesting point for sure. Like there's a lot of things today where people are like, for example, body cams are really popular, right? So, body cams are coming uh, more and more useful and it's great because it gives like an officer's perspective and you know but but it's not what the officer is seeing right so you know the officer could be looking another way but the body cam is pointed in another direction or something like that so i always say 3d data is sort of a uh, geometrically and often with color as well um, can give you a more true representation of something like if you just take something simple like a boot or a shoe you know, it's curved surfaces and all kinds of stuff. So being, being able to get all that curvature and, and an accurate uh, accounting of the geometry and everything else is can be super helpful in an investigation, whether you're doing whatever. It, it could be a bloodstain pattern analysis or shooting reconstruction, whatever it might be. Just having good data is important regardless of what it is. Yeah, absolutely. What is your take on the availability of the technology now, because when I started in my law enforcement career, this wasn't even like 3d forensic technology and scanning really wasn't at the forefront of anything. Like it existed, right. But it was still very new and it was really reserved 
for the large agencies with the big budgets, right? And the technology was was different then too. I mean, they had to come out with this this huge truckload of equipment to set up and it took a long time to sit there and have the camera sit and rotate and the in the the laser scanner and everything. And so I feel like up until even just as recent as a few or five years ago, we kind of were looking at this technology as this is only something that the big players, the big agencies uh, with large budgets can really afford to have as part of their investigative tool belt. Do you think that's changed or is it changing? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, 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 there's, there's a lot of pressure on these, uh, you know, big manufacturers now to come up with low cost tools and just take an example of, uh, Intel. Intel makes these little sensors right now that you can buy for 200 bucks and you plug them into your phone. Like literally I can get my phone, I've got a simple cable and the sensor and it becomes a 3D scan. Now it's not going to wow. be super high accuracy or whatever, but in many instances for outdoor crash scenes or whatever, if I just want to you know, capture a car or something smaller, it'll definitely work. Take the example of the new iPhone 12, the new iPhone 12 and the new iPad Pro. So they have a built-in LiDAR sensor. Now, the LiDAR sensor isn't, again, high, high accuracy, but there are companies that are taking that data and they're coupling it with other types of uh, technologies to get you really, really good data. And so I did a video not too long ago where I, I showed my uh, the parking lot out here with a phone. So I, I took, you know, five minutes or so of just walking up and down and kind of using the phone. And, uh, you know, I produced this 3D model. So we're not quite there yet because the data quality, the accuracy and that sort of thing is not quite there. But I can tell you what, I'm, I'm really impressed with, with what a lot of people are doing with low-cost sensors and even your digital camera. So every agency has got to have a digital camera, right? And anybody's got like one of these in their pocket, right? You've got a phone, a mobile phone or whatever. But most agencies, if they have a you know a forensics department, they're going to have a nice, pretty good camera with, with a collection of lenses. And just having a camera means that you already have the technology to document something in 3D. So using photogrammetry. So photogrammetry is a technology where that allows you to take multiple overlapping images and then you can process them in software. So even if you don't have you know, the knowledge of photogrammetry, but you knew how to take the photos, you can you can sort of freeze or you can document objects in 3D already with just your phone. So it's you don't even have to make the investment in the software if you don't want to. And there's even free software. There's free photogrammetry software if you wanted to pick it off online. So there are a lot of opportunities for people if they have a tight budget or you know, if you're at an agency where you know things are, are tough, you can still experiment with a lot of uh, technology that is freely available or that might even just be in your back pocket. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the technology then. I mean, what what sort of devices are you usually using to capture the scene in the first place? And then how are you taking that and putting it together in order to create this virtual environment? Well, scale is important. Okay, so you have to keep that in mind. So the depending on the object that you want to document. So there's a big difference between you know trying to get you know. A, document a shoe, let's say, and then trying to get an area that's, you know, up a mile or a quarter mile or something like that. Then there's, you know, what kind of accuracy level you want. So you can you have to kind of always think about those things. So the, the main technologies though are really there's the laser scanner. 
So, you know, there's, there's a number of different companies that supply these or make these terrestrial laser scanners, if you want to call it that. And there's, those are the ones that look like a, uh, you know, they're about the size of a big digital camera, let's say, and they spin around on a tripod. Great for crash scenes, great for crime scenes. Then, of course, there's photogrammetry. So photogrammetry is where, you know, just any digital camera, take photos, and you can process that. And drones have become really popular. And it's not the, it's yeah. not the drone itself. It's the camera that's on the drone. It's just a camera. So it's taking pictures and then you process those pictures. Those are, so a drone is great for very, very large areas, you know, crashes or outdoor shooting scenes. You just capture, I mean, in 10 minutes of flight time, um, I mean, you can capture a ton of data, like a big wide area. And then there's uh, the smaller stuff. So there's things called structured light scanners that are, you know, great for, you know, a body on the ground, there's stuff for, you know, small pieces of evidence and, and even, you know, very, very small details like the, you know, your latent, like fingerprints or, or fingers, actually, you know, little getting all the ridges and all the things on your fingers, getting down to very small things. But th those are probably the main three. There are other technologies like more in a lab type of environment. So, for example, micro CT. Uh, computer tomography. So that's um, something you might use if you're an anthropologist. And maybe you're looking at, you know, the, the skull. You find a body, you want to get it scanned in 3D, but you get the internal components and the external components. Um, there's even 3D microscopes. So if you're looking at recovered remains and then all of a sudden there's a cut mark on bone, right? Maybe you want to analyze the cut mark and, and you want to start looking at things. So we actually had a, an intern wow. student that did a project not too long ago and you're getting down to very, very, very small scales, but it's 3d. So yeah, yeah there's a number, there's a number That's of different things. Yeah. Some pretty, some pretty cool options there, but the main ones, laser scanners, photogrammetry and structured LED scanners. So if, if an agency wanted to get started with, with actually purchasing the equipment technology that they need in order to employ this sort of thing, where, where do they go to do that? I mean, how to, what, what sort of cost are we looking at and where do you go to get the training necessary for, for that sort of thing? Yeah, like if you're, if you're looking at a laser scanner, there's a number, you know, there's, there's a I'll say a large number, but there's a few uh, major players out there that you could go to and you can pick up. And the cost-wise, you know, you're looking at something on the order of about, you know, 70, anywhere between like 50, maybe even a little bit less Some in some cases, depending on the model uh, that you get up to, you know, well, sky's the limit, right? Like 100, 120,000 or something like that. Sure. And so depending on what you're doing, uh, you may want to look at one scanner over the other. So if somebody's doing just outdoor crash scenes or whatever, you may want to consider one scanner. Whereas if you're just doing like indoor, a lot more indoor crime scenes and stuff, you might pick another one. So that's, and that's kind of the cost thing. In terms of photogrammetry, if you got a digital camera, you got that part nailed already. So that's not a big deal. And then the software will run you a few thousand bucks. It's not that expensive. You know, uh, high end photogrammetry packages, yeah. you know, maybe 8,000, 7, 8,000 or, or whatever. But they have, it's like they sell different packages or whatever. But you can, you can, for 200 bucks, you can get a package that will produce really nice 3D models, you know? So that's not a major investment for most, uh, for most agencies. And then, you know, if you start looking at smaller scanners uh, that will do things like smaller pieces of evidence, like shoes and things like that, skulls or whatever, those, you know, they range anywhere. If you want a decent one in, on the order of, you know, uh, 10,000 to about 25,000 bucks, right? 
buying the equipment is the easy part, right? The investment is actually in the training and in the time and um, sure. you know, make, yeah, yeah. making sure that the people get, get the proper time because a lot of these people working in law enforcement today, they're, they're not just doing one thing, right? They're doing 20 things and to just go, hey, especially here's smaller laser. agencies. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like here's a laser scanner, go for it, you know, go nuts. It's like, well, where am I going to fit this in? Right. So that's the other sort of investment. A lot of people forget. It's not the, it's not the upfront money. That's the easy part. Once you get the money, it's everything else afterwards, right? Maintaining the skills and, and getting the right training. So, but yeah, those are, those are some areas. And there's some agent, like, for example, there's a, an organization called the uh, IAFSM. So it's International Association of Forensic and Security Metrology. It's a really long name, IAFSM. But it was started by people at the FBI, Secret Service, um, different police agencies when these technologies were new. So back in about 2005 or so. And uh, I was I was the president for about four years, and uh, it was really great because you're bringing people from all over the world together that are exploring these technologies and trying to get in on there. So that's a good avenue if anyone wants to sort of get introduced and sort of wanna, wants to network okay. with people who are doing the same thing. That would be a, a great thing. And there's even forums online where people can get involved. And there's one called the Laser Scanning Forum. Um, and if you, you went on there, there's a whole bunch of people. There's other people from law enforcement and such that are on there. You can message back and forth and, and get some other assistance. Okay. Now you offer some training as well, don't you? Yes, I do. So uh, I, I offer training in a number of things. So I, I teach at the University of Toronto. They have a forensic sciences program. And so uh, back in 2013, okay. There was no, there's no one stop shop to go and all of a sudden you have everything. So I decided that I would bring together a number of different right. aspects of my work and then uh, put it together for students. So there, it's sort of a, a condensed version of a number of different courses that I offer. So one is I do train for a company called Faro. So there's a uh, Faro Technologies, uh, their headquarters are in Lake Mary. So they sell a scanner. And uh, I am a trainer for them. So I've trained a lot of law enforcement agencies okay. on how to do that sort of thing. But I also do photogrammetry training. I do training on how to use different types of software and how to manipulate the data. Right. So how to work with the data and feel comfortable with the data. So there's a few, there's a few different, I, I've even done uh, courses on bloodstain pattern analysis and shooting documentation. Not all 100% 3D but they will have some component of this 3, 3D documentation so that at least you know that sure. it is an option for you. Yeah. Can customer testimonials actually sell your service? You're dang right they can, but only if you do them right. Here's how. Instead of simply asking a customer for a testimonial, you should ask specific questions that get you sound bites you need to sell your service. If you want your testimonial to convince prospects to hire you, they should do one of the following. Number one, overcome a resistance potential clients have. If there is a resistance that most clients have, such as price, convenience, support, etc., use testimonials that help overcome those objections. Number two, celebrate a success story. If you helped a customer overcome a challenge and experience transformation, you should feature those stories in your marketing. Other potential customers will picture themselves experiencing that same transformation and be more inclined to buy from you. Number three, demonstrate the avoidance of failure. 
Interestingly, people are more motivated to avoid something bad than they are to experience something good. If you've helped customers avoid something tragic, ask them about it so you can feature that story of failure avoidance in your testimonials. The important thing here is to be prepared with the right questions to ask your customer. Just for this chapter of the business brief, I am sharing with you the exact customer survey I use for my business. Just go to leotoceo.com forward slash sample dash survey and download it for yourself so you can start using testimonials that will actually make you money. Again, that's Leo, L-E-O, the number two, CEO.com forward slash sample dash survey. The business brief is sponsored by leotoceo.com, everything you need to grow your post law enforcement business. Well, I want to shift gears here just a little bit. We all love stories, and I'm sure that you have some stories or some use cases specifically where you have used this technology. What can you share with us? Yeah, there's a number of different things. So, you know, for example, suspect height analysis, right? So you get a suspect or whatever, and you're trying to figure out how tall they are. So there was a there was a case, it was kind of a local case here where they're looking for somebody with a specific height. And so one of the things you can do is if you take the laser scanner and you have CCTV video, you can couple the two together. So that's one nice thing. 3D technology will often play nice with images and such. And so um, yeah. it, was, uh, it was a case where I didn't know how tall this guy was, but we did the analysis. We went through and, uh, you know, police come through and they never told me. They never told me about the suspect, the suspect's height or whatever. But I could see this guy was really tall. Like he's, he's there's, I mean, in the video, it's like, he looks tall, like whatever, but he's kind of in an open area. So it's a little hard to tell. Anyway, we do the analysis. We send the report. Once I send the report, I'm like, Oh, can you tell me how tall he is? They're like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. I'm like, okay. So, you know, we get to trial. I testify at trial about how tall this guy is. And, uh, they, uh, well, still wouldn't tell me. So I waited until everything was done. And then they came back and the investigator called me and said, Hey, uh, you know, uh, just to let you know, you got to put this one on your CV. Like I, the, the number that we got for this thing was we were like within like a quarter inch of his actual height or something like that. Right. For this guy. And because he was, he, the guy's like five. Wow. I thought so he was six, six, five, it was six, five, something. He's a tall guy, right? Pretty tall guy. So, um, yeah, we got really yeah. close to that and it just, it just helped reinforce, you know, that, that they got the right guy, like that who's in the video kind of thing. You know, on shooting cases and That's shooting, really neat. shooting reconstruction cases, it, it, just kind of a common theme here. And when you look at a car, for example, and uh, or even a body, like it's happened a few times where you know you can somebody describes, for example, there's an officer and he says, you know, I've, I've got this, I've got this guy and he's he's pulling something out of his out of his jacket or whatever, right? So the officer gives a, a statement about what happened. And uh, in this particular case, there's a subject up on the top of a set of stairs and uh, the officer says, Hey, like, you know, get, get your hands out of your pockets or whatever. Like he's, 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 he's F you, you know, forget it. I'm not doing it. So there's a little bit of a problem. And finally, and finally the guy sort of makes a quick movement or quick motion, three shots fired. And basically it can help support, for example, what the officer said and uh, in the body. And when you look at the trajectories in the body, you can see how the succession of shots, how they were fired, 
and even that there's a rotation in this guy's oh. body because the shots go and you can just see it perfectly like as as he's coming down and the officer you know what he said was you know just was very very consistent with you know what was said there so sometimes little things like that you know help to support uh the case yeah th i mean there's been other things uh, you know i've been involved on, on some other things that i can't talk about uh things over like overseas and, and in Iraq and even, uh, sure. I don't know if you know this, but in 2000 and I think it was 13, there was a, a shooting in our Canadian parliament. So there's a guy, just a wacko and he ends up killing somebody and then he runs into our parliament and you know, he, there's a shootout. There's a huge shootout inside of our parliament. And can you imagine somebody going into the, you know, U S Capitol and there's a shootout inside the cap. Like it would be, you know, it'd be crazy, but you know, we're Canada. So it's not, a, it wasn't uh, maybe didn't make a lot, of, a lot of noise or whatever, but it was a really interesting case to, to have worked on as well. But you yeah. know, like all things, when, when you can see and when you can help the jury and the investigators really sort of understand what's happening, then it's, it's that added little piece. I mean, it's never, it's never like, you know, oh, I did the job and case solved, right? It's not like that. That's not the kind of thing that, that really happens, but it gives clarity and um, it helps people explain complex concepts, right? And that's, and, and that's, I think, the real benefit of, of what I'm doing and how it helps. Awesome. So what, what do you see as the future then of... Um, 3D forensic technology. What what will we be capable of doing in the future that we aren't able to do now? Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I mean, so kind of what we talked about, where you're getting this mobile and low cost tools. So you know, being able to pull something out of your back pocket and then all of a sudden walk around the crime scene, all of a sudden you're capturing everything. Right. That's yeah. that's kind of that's an interesting concept, and it just makes the technology available to everybody. The other thing is um, a lot of people have been talking about virtual reality, for example. And uh, virtual reality is really great right now for a training, like for, for training and uh, to kind of help people kind of immerse them in an environment and then practice their skills. And so that's good. But there hasn't been a lot of work on taking virtual reality of an, you know, of, of an actual crime scene and then taking investigators back inside and then, for example, overlaying the results of an analysis. So, for example, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's one that I did where there was a couple of bloodstain impacts in this room. And what I did was I uh, did an analysis in the room. But I sent all the data to a colleague of mine in uh, Germany, Stuttgart. And so he has this thing called a cave. So it's a big room and there's projectors on the ceiling and, and everything else. You know, kind of like, I don't know, oh, you know wow. kind of like the holodeck, right? That kind of thing. But when you walk in, I think what was interesting yeah. to me was he's he's at, he's not just kind of like looking around the crime scene, but he's he can actually interact with the results of my analysis. So you can see the the trajectories of the bloodstains coming off the wall, and you know he can kind of look around and he sees it in the context of the crime scene. So I think there needs to be more work done there, and I think that would that's kind of interesting because now, for example, you can take jurors there, right? So it's you know it's an investigative tool, but it's also something that a jury or a you know, judge or a jury or whatever could sit with some goggles on and then, and then have a look around. And there's just some things that, and just for example, elevation, I have a case where it's like a, a guy falls off this cliff and he goes down and, you know, it's like a hundred foot drop or whatever. And when you look at the photos, 
Um, well, you, you probably, if you've taken a, a photo of a mountain, you know, landscape or whatever, and there's a big mountain in the background, you don't get the sense of depth, right? Like you don't get the sense of height sometimes. It just looks like, yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe it's deep, whatever. But imagine putting yourself at the edge of the cliff. You're standing there now in virtual reality and then looking down at the ground. Then it's like, whoa. This is, <laughs> I don't feel comfortable with being here in VR. You yeah. want to take a step back. Yeah. And, so, and so giving somebody a sense of the, those types of elevation differences and sort of, the, you know, what a witness might have seen, the different perspectives can be useful. It can be really useful, but it can be dangerous too. It can be, it can be harmful too. Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing that kind of popped into my mind there is I can, I can almost see an opportunity for that to create an increased traumatic experience for people. I mean, when you think about the average citizen, right, that sits in on a jury, uh, just looking at still photos of a crime scene is going to be a bit traumatic for them. But but to put them in a 3D environment where they can actually see in in kind of real time, if you will, what that looks like, I I think that could potentially be pretty traumatic for some people. Yeah, it could be, uh, you know, especially if you're doing some kind of a reenactment, let's say, you know, like you're trying to reenact something that happened or whatever. Now, one of the things you can do is you can clean up the data, right? Like, so you can remove a body or something like that and then just kind of say, okay, this is, you know, the body's been removed and you're just kind of looking at a cleaned up crime scene. But the other danger is, you know, today, for example, there are companies that do a lot of animation stuff. So they have you know, people running around and doing shootings. And if you re create something in virtual reality there's always the danger that you could let's say it's a witness you know it's an eyewitness there's always the danger of re of inserting a false memory so you know it's not done exactly right and then it's like oh yeah i think i think he punched that guy i think that's what happened but it never happened right so there, there are some dangers that uh you know people can get a false sense of reality uh, by doing something like that and uh yeah, we're, we're not there yet, fortunately, but uh, th- there are ways to sort of back off from there and just try to keep it, you know, just the facts kind of thing and, and help it out. So, but there, there's some interesting things there. You know, 3D printing is, is, has been pretty helpful, pretty useful. In fact, uh, so here's, here's an example. I've got a, this is a 3D printed finger. So it's somebody's finger that's been scanned. So if you're a latent print okay. examiner, and, you know, it's like today you just kind of show a, a piece of paper. It's like got a picture of, you know, some, a, a print recovered at a crime scene. And then maybe you've got the suspect's, you know, a rolled print or whatever. You know, but what if you could print it out, you know, the actual suspect's finger? And, like, you can even, I know it's hard to see maybe there, but there's actually ridges here. And you can hear them, you know, if I, if I scratch my fingers on them. But, you know, you can color code this and then hand this to a juror. And now they have a blown-up copy uh, of the surface of somebody's finger. Wow. So that can, that can be that can be helpful in, in learning, and you know the same goes for uh, for other things. So you know this one is a vertebrae. This is from a homicide. So this is from a homicide overseas where we we it's a woman who got stabbed and, and she's got a cut mark on one of her vertebrae, and so we scan the vertebrae and we actually have so it you know I think it's kind of cool. Well, to your point, if I took the actual bone and brought it into court and gave it to somebody to be freaking out. Right. So, but here it's kind of neat that I have a copy of this woman's bone in plastic that I can hold in my hand. Right. It's, it's rather benign. It's not as traumatic or whatever. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot oh, of cool, cool things. Yeah. There's a lot of cool things we can do with 3d data. 
Yeah. And so for those that are listening to the show and, and not seeing it, if you want to see the the items that Eugene uh, was showing us, you can uh, check out the video version either on the on the website at PSI.chat or you can just go to YouTube uh, and pull up Public Safety Innovators podcast and you can watch the video of this interview there and you'll be able to see those items. Um, Eugene, there was, there was one other question I was going to ask you and I was going to frame this as part of the future concept idea, but admittedly, I don't know if maybe this is already happening now. So you're going to have to tell me, but one of the uses that I, you know, have pop into my brain that I think would be really useful for 3d technology like this is doing autopsies, medical examiners. Is, is that being done currently? Or is that kind of one of those things that maybe there's a, a paradigm shift that needs to happen there in order to get that to start becoming more regular? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, not anything new anymore. Uh, it's something that's been done for quite some time, especially in uh, Switzerland, okay. University of Bern. Uh, so uh, Dr. Michael Talley and his team is a bunch of people that have been doing, for example, uh, virtual autopsies or vertopsies. And there's even uh, another uh, gentleman uh, who I met most recently, and they're doing something called uh, vert virto scan i think is what it's called so they're doing they're combining all this 3d data both uh, ct mri which really gets it's a volume it's getting on the inside and so if, imagine you've got a victim and there's you know frag bullet fragments and there's other stuff inside the body you know maybe it's shotgun pellets or whatever inside or even uh, consider a car accident where a pedestrian is, is has broken some internal bones or something like that well you can scan it and see the inside, and then you also scan the exterior. So you do surface scanning using photogrammetry or these structured light scanners that I talked about before, and you can combine the two. And so uh, there is a case there wow. where they they rebuild the victim and they articulate the victim. So now you have a moving model of the victim, internal and external, with injuries based on the autopsy, what they did at the autopsy in this, in this vertopsy. And then there's one paper that was published a while back and they show, for example, they, they take this victim and they basically put him back on the roadway and sort of in the configuration when uh, they were hit by a vehicle. And you can see how all the injuries line up with the, you know, with the vehicle, the bumper and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it, it's definitely being done, wow. but it's not widely adopted, not widely adopted just yet. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Swiss have a ton of money. So they've got like robots and all kinds of high end equipment that would be prohibitive in other places of the world. So it has to be a, a much simpler yeah. and lower cost system. Sure. Well, Eugene, I'm really curious uh, about how you actually got started in this field. So can you share with us just a little bit more about you personally, um, your background and, and how you got into this in the first place? Yeah, so um, my background is in aerospace engineering. So I studied uh, engineering at school and I got out and I was working in the industry for a while and had a great, uh, got a, had a great start to my career, great boss, uh, had a great job in a materials and process engineering lab at uh, what used to be McDonnell Douglas and then it became Boeing. Uh, they, they, I guess they, they bought McDonnell okay. Douglas at the time. So, you know, in engineering, you know, modeling and designing using computer-aided design or drafting uh, software is always a, something that, you know, I was taught, you know, right in school. So 3D modeling was nothing new. But uh, I think the, the first thing that I can remember that I thought was super cool was I was at a, uh, was at a company in Seattle. And they, they have, they make these big machines that 
wrap around aircraft and stuff like that. And in order to get the aircraft or aligned properly and everything, they had this laser tracker. And so the guy had this little probe, right? And he, and he moves this probe and there's a laser that's following it. And, he, and you kind of move around and the machine just kind of keeps looking at where this little probe is. And I thought, man, that's super cool. So that's the first time I saw a laser 3D device. And uh, over time, I just uh, I started getting these ideas about modeling and I was modeling uh, uh, machines and stuff like that for concepts. Like, how do you get how do you get a difficult machine concept across? Because the company I was working for uh, was was creating these machines or making these machines. They're rather complicated. But if I just explained it to you, it wouldn't make any sense. I did a 3D model of one and I emailed a 10 second video of how I wanted this thing to work. And five minutes later, I got emails back. Hey, this is amazing. Like, how, how'd you do this? Like this, I get it. You know, it's, it made a lot of sense. So from there, I started looking at where you can apply all this 3D stuff in other areas. And I looked at robotics. I looked at all these other areas. When I looked at forensics, I was like, man, yeah, this makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of complex things that happen in cases and shootings or whatever that can be applied. So basically, I start. I started back. Yeah. Um, officially started in two thousand and five, uh, and I, you know, what I thought I was going to be doing and what I'm doing today are different, but for the better, for sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting welcome, into some welcome cool to stuff. my life too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> along the way, I did a lot of, uh, you know, the, the excuse me, the, the uh, introduction to the University of Toronto and their forensic science program. I think that was that was pretty good for me. Back in 2010, I, I got uh, somebody said, "Hey, come out and show show us what you're talking about because we don't know what this 3D stuff is. Like, whatever, you know, just just come out." So I went out and they were doing like clandestine grave exercises where they were excavating bodies, kind of thing. So I just took a few pictures and then I created this 3D model, and they were like, "Holy mackerel! Like, you can do this?" I'm like, "Yeah, this is how it works." So uh, a relationship started, and so I've been teaching there since 2013, and we do a lot of uh, research now uh, in so many areas, uh, anthropology, the shooting stuff, the bloodstain cool. stuff. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how it's shifted and, and kind, of, uh, kind of what know, how things progressed. Awesome. Well, do you have any, uh, any closing thoughts for us or anything you wanted to cover uh, here today that we haven't done so already? Um, you covered a lot of stuff already. Maybe nothing in, in particular, but hey, you know, if anybody's interested in getting started or, or whatever, you know, they can contact you, and maybe you can you can put them on to me. I'm, I'm more than you know. I help people a lot sometimes when they're just getting into this particular area. If they think that it's new, you know, just uh, you know, they can reach out to me, and I'm, I'm I'm very open, and I try to help out wherever I can. So that's all I would say at this point. Yeah, no, we'll definitely encourage folks to reach out to you directly. I don't, I don't need to be your gatekeeper. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you're, you're really active on social media and on your website and you've got a YouTube channel that you're really active on as well. So why don't you go ahead and let everybody know that's listening? Where can they find you? How do they connect with you? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the, the website is AI2. Dash 3d.com. And if you go there, I'll have links to all the other stuff on YouTube. Uh, I have a, uh, another, just like you, I've got a little thing that I do called forensics talks. And that one is, uh, uh, where I interview forensic professionals, uh, from all over the world, all, all different stuff, like way out of my wheelhouse, you know, stuff that's, that's not my specialty kind of thing, which makes it really interesting. Uh, also on YouTube, if you just do a search for 3D forensics, then you'll get to my channel. And I have stuff on laser scanning and photogrammetry and, and all that sort of thing. And if, you know, but if you just want to reach out to me, just go to the website, AI2 
Dev-3D.com, go to the contact form, that email comes to me directly. So, you know, I'll, I'll be able to see it and I'll be able to get it. And like I said, I'm more than happy to, uh, to respond to anybody who needs a hand. Awesome. Well, it's been good having you on the show, Eugene. And uh, as always, everybody, um, if you want to check out any of the resources that Eugene talked about today on the show, or go to his website or any of the other places that you can find him, we'll put all the links for all of that on the episode page in the show notes. Uh, and you can find that just by going to psi.chat forward slash and then the number of the episode so go ahead and go there to find the links eugene um it's been awesome chatting with you man i could probably talk to you for another hour i just find this stuff fascinating so it's it, thanks for educating me a little bit oh thank you very much for having me i appreciate it Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.